Welcome back to the show. Hope you're all having a great week so far, this very last week of 2022. And this is, of course, then our very last episode of 2022. We are so excited to share with you today something fun, which is our best of. We went through as a team and we picked out some of our favorite episodes from 2022. Topics all across the board we're covering here. We cover some creativity, we cover happiness and anxiety and motivation and motherhood, community and purpose. We cover a lot of different topics and we have snippets of some of our favorite conversations here today to share with you. Hopefully you can find some inspiration and insights from them as we did as a team as you close out 2022. Also, we are doing a fun giveaway with this episode. So if you go and it should be in the show notes as well, but if you go to www.shespeaks.com forward slash podcast best of 2022, you will get a chance to enter for a really cool prize. We're excited about it. So please check it out. And we wish you a wonderful end to your year to 2022. We have some phenomenal guests already um, on the docket for 2023. We can't wait to share those episodes with you. We wish you and your family a wonderful new year. And we can't wait to talk to you again in 2023. Happy new year. Enjoy the episode. So much of how we're raised is about how nice we are, how kind we are, being good girls. But And part of that is how well do we take care of the people in our lives? And especially, I would say, if you've experienced some kind of emotional neglect or trauma in your, in, in your past, it can almost turn into sort of this overdrive of as long as I'm taking care of everybody else in the world outside me is okay, then I'll be okay too. Mm -hmm. But if we're not listening to ourselves and what we need, it can make us feel really anxious and depressed because we're not actively caring for us Mm -hmm. when we're constantly thinking about everybody else's needs. But it is a cultural message that we receive. It's also a lot of what is modeled for us. So whether it's our mother or our grandmother or female figure in our life who is very good at taking care of others without really actively working on their own needs. It, mm-hmm. it can become habit. For every person, I think it can. it is very individual. But I mean, for me, a regular meditation practice has really helped. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Finding ways to be in nature, even if it's cold and yucky or super hot or whatever, just being outside. Mm-hmm. Nature can really sort of naturally lower our arousal response therapy you know yeah. i think personal therapy i mean i'm a therapist so of course i think that but uh-huh. uh, it has <laughs> saved my life in many ways but being okay with the fact that maybe you might need some extra help i don't look at this 18 year journey as um oh my god it took you so long and uh, you finally got there i don't look at it like that i look at it as timing I look at it as um, there's a need specifically at this time with isolation from the pandemic and then Mm -hmm. the awareness of what the black culture has known, Mm -hmm. you know, from all my life. And Mm -hmm. so for the world to see it and for the world to connect when CNN did this composite of all of these countries, Japan, England, Australia, and you see Black Lives Matters, that was the first time in my life that I felt loved. 
by the country, by other countries. Mm -hmm. And so it's time, you know, we're culturally different, but love is universal. How do you think things have evolved? And are you feeling like we have come to an inflection point where there, where change is going to be persistent? I feel that in terms of our evolution from having a Black president and a first family, mm-hmm. um, billionaires, just tremendous success in sports and, you know, breaking those barriers in the Oscars and Golden Globes and there have been changes and we have production companies from Tyler Perry to Will Packer, you know, Spike Lee, like Ava DuVernay, Shonda Rhimes. There's so much mm-hmm. richness in that so mm-hmm. much. So we, we have, we haven't even, in my opinion, touched on a 10th of our stories. Mm-hmm. And I constantly as a casting director get scripts and say, I didn't even know that story. I didn't mm-hmm. even know about that. So yes, in a positive way, I feel that there is progression and movement I feel like we need to embrace our history and not erase our history. And I didn't mean to rhyme with that, but the history is where you know the truth and that's where you can learn. And so I feel like that culturally as a black woman, I know what exists. I experience what exists. My friends, I have, I know their experiences. However, culturally, I don't think white people, all white people have really understood the journey and understood our obstacles and hurdles and, and for me, unfortunately, for during the Floyd, uh, George Floyd, God rest his soul, there was an awareness. It felt like for the first time that, mm-hmm. you know, different cultures outside of myself were like, wow, I didn't know that or that really happens. And then from that came, what can we do? Some people call it woke. Some people call it awareness. Some people call it consciousness. Whatever it is, mm-hmm. it's bringing to light that we do need to change and we need to listen really listen. So in listening, you learn in learning, you're not going to understand the experience, but at least you will have some sort of consciousness, some sort of empathy, some sort of, we're not looking for sympathy. Mm -hmm. We're just looking for that human connection that says, you know what, we got to help each other. We got to make a change. But it's a skill of creating a more supportive relationship with our thoughts, our emotions, ourselves, and then as a result with other people, And it's so important that we start with ourselves. And at the core of this, you know, as you know, um, I'm a neuroscience geek. Everything I share is based in research. There's a ton of neuroscience Mm -hmm. that's in the book, including a whole Mm -hmm. chapter, Mm -hmm. which is understanding your brain on challenge. And the reason we need to practice our emotional fitness is because our brains really don't care about our happiness, our thriving, our accomplishments, our living a meaningful life. That's not what your brain cares about. Your brain is here to do one thing, to keep you safe from danger. So if we just follow the thoughts that our brain naturally has, that's all we're going to do. We're going to have a lot of struggle, but we're going to stay safe. We'll never try new things. We'll never make changes because that's all uncertainty to the brain. So understanding that gives us the insight for why we have to learn how to do things like edit our thoughts. At the core of the book is the skill that has really changed the lives of a lot of people as I've been sharing it. This idea that just because your brain gives you a thought doesn't mean you should follow it, that you are the editor of your thoughts. The idea that we have to practice dealing with different emotions and embracing different emotions. How do you work through difficult emotions? That's all at the core of emotional fitness. And to me, you know, it's weird to say that without like self-aggrandizing, but this is the skill we don't learn. But I said, these are not soft skills. 
These mm-hmm. are life human needs. Yeah. These are essential human needs and we need to learn how to do it, especially right now. Yeah. After we've gone through this incredibly difficult two years, we're still in it, right? Still mm-hmm. challenging. Mm-hmm. Uncertainty is so hard for the human brain. Yeah. Um, change is so difficult for the human brain. So we have to learn how to support ourselves through that so that we can spend less energy on inner struggle. So we have more of the energy to do the things that are meaningful to us, whatever they are, our work, our craft, our family, our community. And that's what that's how we embrace our awesome human. That's how we get there. Well, I think part of it is is cultural. It's not all cultural, but we have grown up in a time where we value sexiness, which translates to youthfulness. Mm-hmm. We um, define beauty in a very limited way. Beauty mm-hmm. has to do with no lines on your skin and a perky booty. Um, women have not been seen as whole people in this culture for a long time. Women were the mothers, they were the teachers, they were the caretakers, all wonderful roles, but still limiting. So as women expand into the world and say, wait, I have a story too that doesn't involve just that. I have a voice too that doesn't involve just speaking to my husband or to my family. Mm-hmm. Um, now what we're seeing, I think that we're living in an exciting time, a time of, of kind of revolution almost, where women are claiming their voices and they're saying, I am more than this. And I think that's what we want for ourselves. It's what we want for our daughters, our granddaughters, our nieces. So what advice would you have for women who are feeling stuck because they feel like they're too old to achieve their life streams? Well, it would be a platitude to say you're never too old. But I think the unsticking part, getting unstuck, has to do with what you make of your older age. I mean, what is it that older age is teaching us? It teaches us, for one thing, to be more reflective, Mm -hmm. more contemplative about our lives. Mm -hmm. That now, instead of looking toward the light and walking towards that, we are the light holders. Mm -hmm. We shine a light to those women that are behind us. There is a great and noble responsibility in that. That should be exciting. That should be purposeful to older women. It's like, don't shirk your responsibility. Hold a light for the women behind you. How do you do that? You do that by uplifting other women. I can remember living in a, in a work life where I was competitive very often mm-hmm. with other women. Mm-hmm. Now, at an older age, one of the gifts is I no longer feel that sense of competition. Right. I'm secure in myself. I know what I can do. I know what I can't do. But what I can do with younger women or the women that stand behind me and the women that are my same age is to lift them up. Fast forward to 2019 after years of dealing with infertility and all sorts of treatments and IVF with donor eggs and all of the things, my husband and I lost a much wanted pregnancy late that year. And just like everyone else, a few months later, you know, I'm still recovering emotionally and psychologically from the loss and physically still dealing with stuff because, you know, miscarriage is a very physical experience, unfortunately. And I realized, you know, all I wanted was my mom. You know, the woman at that point had been dead for 12 years. And all I wanted was for her to like, comfort, console, guide us, just, just be there. Right. And that's when I realized like, you don't get over these things. 
-hmm. Like when these transformative moments happen in life, you know, whether it's the beginning of life and you have or adopt a child or the end of life and you lose someone you love, you don't get over it, you adapt and you learn how to live with it. And that's what I decided I was gonna do at that point. And I wrote an article about it and people really felt that. You know, I think I think it was validating for a lot of people, this idea that you don't have to get over it. You just have to mm -hmm. figure out what it looks like for you to live with this loss that has happened to you. Ironically, it was nine years before my cancer diagnosis when I actually was already in the personal development world and professional development world. And it was mothering and motherhood that got me cracked open to not this. I always call it my not this moment where I was like, mm. I can't continue to live like this and to feel like this. Mm. But I was checking all the boxes. I was doing the things. And that's what led me up my cancer diagnosis, which was burnout, because I left my corporate job. I became a female entrepreneur, business owner, right? Doing all the things. And people are saying to me, oh my gosh, how are you doing it all? And I felt like I was dying on the inside. Mm. And so when I got the diagnosis, that was the thing that made me stop in my tracks. And I said, okay, I'm done. I am now mm. checking that box that I am done suffering. I am done mm. feeling like crap. I am done. Go, 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 go. And pretending that I am not allowed to feel good while I go after my dreams. We forget that we're nature. We forget that we are a part of nature. You look at trees, they grow. Uh, I always use the analogy, like right outside my window, there's like a garden, right? I can plant a hundred seeds and I know 100% of those seeds will not grow. Mm. And the ones that will grow just take, right? So it's not certain. Life is not certain. And also in order for the plant to grow, it needs sunlight, it needs water, it needs nutrients. Most of us are attending, ironically, attending to your house plants more than you are your own needs. And so with the lobster analogy, yeah, it's nature, it's natural. The lobster knows when this pressure comes, when this not this moment, like not this, not this, I've outgrown this shell right? I've outgrown this relationship. I've outgrown mm. this business. I've outgrown this career. I've outgrown this identity. Then you have to let it go. And typically as human beings, because we have ego and, you know, social, all of that, we hang on to things for way too long. Yeah. And when you're hanging on to things, you're growing within a shell that you no longer belong in thinking that my needs don't matter. So then I'm just abandoning my needs and here I am, lobster in a shell, outgrowing it, feeling the pressure, feeling the pressure and not giving myself permission to let go of the shell that is no longer serving me. We all cared about coming together. We all instantly liked each other. We all instantly realized we all been looking for people to have this feeling with. And it was this like light bulb that went off. We're like, let's just keep doing this. And that night we sat down and we're like, let's build this because we want to build that exactly you're saying, that safety feeling, that feeling of connection, that feeling of uh, like collective. I mean, community, I always say community is collective unity. It's like it felt like we were all united in wanting the same thing. Lucy, as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, you are so light years ahead of so many other 
people who struggle to kind of figure out what their mission is. Yeah. So you know what your mission is. You said it before. You said it very, very clearly. You said it with passion. How do you figure that out? Because I we hear from a lot of women mm. that they struggle to yeah. really understand what's going on with them, to really understand what their mission is, what they what they're they were put here on earth to do. Do you have any tips or advice? Do you have a daily practice? How do you tune into that? Totally. I have a lot of tools. I have like a very strong toolkit of mental health things that I've built over the years. I don't know if that like equates to me like finding my purpose in this world, but um, I tried a lot of things. Like I, I thought it was ballet, but I clearly don't love ballet. So I went on this life mission of like, I interned at a clothing company, a music label, I had a radio show. I interned at a ra- another radio show. I interned at Con Film Festival. I interned everywhere you can think of. I just was like, I'll try out every industry. And I kept trying industries and I kept being like, mm, I don't know. This isn't really it. I, I don't know. I, I just kept looking like everywhere. When I, as I got out of college, like I worked in tech and film and all these things. And then I went and was a farmer for two years in France. Like I started a farm with my partner and I was just always like, I'm tired. Like, I just kind of want to sleep right now. Like, I just like didn't want to do stuff. And now I'm the exact opposite. I can't get myself to stop working. I have to force myself to, to, to stop. And it all makes sense. It's like, oh, it just, you, you know, when you love something, like you feel it click, but you have to do a lot of things that you don't love for a lot of time to figure out what that is. Like I had to do a lot. I think doing things in your life and trying different industries is all about figuring out what you don't want and what you don't ever want to do again, rather than what you do want to do. So me trying all these things helped it be really clear of the things that I don't want in my life rather than the things that I want. What advice do you have for people like me and maybe like some of our listeners who don't consider themselves to be talented from an artistic standpoint, but we want to explore our creativity? What, like, what should we do? I wouldn't define myself as a traditionally talented artist in terms of having the technique um, or the mastery of a lot of different art mediums. But what I do think helps me, and I certainly think it can help everybody, is to create a creative habit. And that means to keep repeating and trying So for example, maybe you say every day for 30 minutes, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to allow myself this time to explore my creativity. And that could be a little smiley face. And that could be like a little doodle, or that could be a couple of words. You work that muscle, you work that creative muscle and you keep going. And every day you come back and some days you're not going to have any ideas and some days they're going to flow. And I think that that, you know, I see it, you know, in my daughter, for example, when, when she goes to dance, I mean, I don't have rhythm. I don't think she inherited a ton of rhythm, but she's getting better and better because she goes every day and she's just repeating. And I think that that can be similar in so many things, including creativity. But then the other, the other tip is not to judge yourself and just say, you know what? I'm not this artist, but this is how I'm going to express myself. And I'm just going to keep it up. Just because something's been done a certain way for a really long time doesn't make it like the truth. I I would love to get your perspective on this because I have daughters, I have two teenage daughters, and I have this conversation with them all the time. 
for me, it's always, okay, I have to protect myself. Like the, our perspective is, and one that we got growing up was you can't trust that other people are going to control themselves and why tempt fate by wearing something that you would, you know, would attract attention. So for me, when I think about this, it's very much a safety issue. But when I talk to my kids, their perspective is more about the fact that, well, wait a second, why am I responsible for how someone else is going to behave? And I feel like your generation, you seem to have much more of a perspective that other people need to be like they have to have their own personal agency. They have to be responsible for themselves and you can't allow that to kind of affect what you are going to do. But I want to get your perspective as someone who is of that generation, but also who talks to many young girls and, you know, teenagers who have that say, you know, who are also growing up and dealing with these issues. Does that seem to ring true that your generation just has a different perspective on that? A hundred percent. I've had the same exact conversation with my own parents where they're like, you know, it's not because we don't want you to be showing your skin. It's just like, we don't want you to be in danger. Like we don't want to put you in danger when you're outside. And I'm like, okay, so I have to restrict myself. I have to be the one that's like bearing the burden of this because of somebody else's actions. Like that just does not seem fair to me. And to me, that's also not breaking the cycle. That's not creating change. It's like, if you are so worried about my safety, then you should come into my school and talk to my school about, instead of you instilling a dress code on girls and saying, we don't want you know them to show our shoulders, how about you talk to your students and you say, you know what, these are shoulders. You shouldn't be talking, like, you shouldn't be sexualizing women around you like that. A lot of that goes hand in hand with just like education around these topics. It's like if we're in sex ed class and you're putting boys and girls into different classrooms, then that's going to have a cultural effect. It's going to create this idea in their heads when it's already so like impressionable that, you know, we're, ta- we're learning about sex and we have to be segregated. We have to be, you know, gender divided because, you know, this is something that something that we have to keep private. It's kind of like, I think that, we have to be the change makers when we're raising our own children. Like we have to educate boys. Hey, don't sexualize women around you like that. Like we can't always look at the daughters and say like, you have to adjust your life and accommodate your life to the way that men are. Like, I hate that term. Like men will always be men. Like I absolutely despise that because like, let's, you know, raise the next generation to be better men so that we don't have to deal with that when we're older. So you've shifted, right? You were in the modeling world, um, but actually prior to that, you were involved in, you said you musical theater was something that was interesting to you. You were getting some roles on television shows like Gossip Girl and Socially Awkward. I mean, I'd love to get your perspective too on how things have changed in the entertainment industry because you were there before, like probably pre-social media being a big part of, you know, somebody's voice. And now you're back in that world, right? You did the modeling, you're back in the world of, you know, entertainment. You know, how has that experience changed? Because you were so young when you started out in the industry. 
So, you know, with the Me Too movement and with everything that came out and happened with Harvey Weinstein, I feel like there has been a, like I said, a huge upswing specifically with women in the entertainment industry in regards to us having more more say-so, more autonomy. And it's been lovely to come up in that era. I mean, I think that, you know, you're right. When I started and when I first booked you know, that small role on Gossip Girl when I was, you know, only 18 years old to now being, you know, the lead on a, on a Netflix show. So much has, has happened and has changed in the world and in the entertainment industry specifically that has been beneficial for females. And it's huge to be kind of a part of that movement and to have come up during it because I've gotten to benefit. You know, I've been able to have more of a say-so in the audition room or in regards to my social media. I've been able to be more transparent about things. And and it's been so large (laughs) in regards to how much has changed. It's almost difficult to wrap my mind around it, but I'm very lucky that I've been sort of involved in the conversation. Thank you for listening to our show. And if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is just to leave us a five-star rating wherever you listen to the show. You don't have to write a review. You can just leave us one of those five-star ratings. And that is really the best way to support the show so we can bring you more great content. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you're an influencer or a brand that wants to work with us, please feel free to email us at info at Until next time.